everybody. Welcome back to the Multiverseverse podcast. My name is Gar Punnett, Chief Impact Officer at Reapley. Yes, we know. You might have noticed a little bit of an absence in uh, how many episodes we've gotten out recently, but it's because we have a new season. We have a new look. It's not completely ironed out yet, but we're getting there. And today, we had a new guest. Tessa Virk of the Chicago Tool Library, executive director and co-founder of the Chicago Tool Library. And we got to dive into really the, the concepts of sharing and borrowing and what that means for community resilience. Uh, it was a great conversation. I look forward to having her on again because there's so much more to talk to. Um, but again, into the basics, uh, I look forward to really talking more about and what you'll hear more about is... How do we restart the vocabulary around what sharing and renting and what that all means for, again, a Chicago tool library and a tool library in your community? Here it comes. Tessa, thank you so much for joining us today. Tessa Virk is joining us from the Chicago Tool Library, executive director and co-founder, and we've got a little bit of history in terms of the work that we've done here in the city of Chicago. Can you tell the people a little bit about who you are, what you've been up to, and then we can start to get into the, the nitty gritty and the fun stuff with the Chicago Tool Library? Absolutely. I'm so happy to be here. Um, so yeah, I am the co-founder and executive director of the Chicago Tool Library. We're a nonprofit here in Chicago. Um, for those who haven't heard of tool libraries, they, you know, work a lot like book libraries, but we have stuff. Um, and yeah, it's wonderful to be here with you because you're one of the first folks that I met here in Chicago working in the circular economy space. And it's been exciting to see how you've moved through Chicago and, uh, you know, made your own way. So I'm really happy to be here. It's, it's so funny that you say that too, because we were, we were just talking earlier about, uh, how rare it is to be able to be sitting. We were sitting probably at a, a reused cafeteria table in which we were both doing some sort of work at the plant um, down in uh, the, one of the neighborhoods here in Chicago, um, uh, the back of the yards neighborhood then, uh, here in Chicago. But I remember this idea. I remember you talking passionately about how you were just starting to really think about how you wanted to open a, a tool library and start to really um, open this up for access in Chicago communities Give, a, give us a little glimpse into what that went into and actually going from that idea, because ideas are cheap, and actually then turning that into the, the baby that is the Chicago Tool Library now, but then all the hard work that went into this. Because you happened to start it right before a major global event, and I'm sure that didn't make that easy. That's definitely true. Um, so I always have to give a ton of credit to other folks around the world who have come before me and started hundreds of other tool libraries. So I felt, you know, while I was kind of trying something new and putting myself out there here in Chicago, starting a tool library, I felt really confident and secure in taking it on because I had so many other people to call on to help me. You know, there are tool libraries in Honolulu and in like in Ireland and Australia, in Denver, they're everywhere. So um, I really had this wonderful collaborative community to support me and give me ideas and inspiration. So um, just with that alone, I felt like I could do this. Um, but yeah, we opened, the Chicago Tool Library opened in 2019, about six months before the pandemic. Um, after like a really, really fast process actually of getting it started, just because the demand and the response was so positive. We found a space super fast. 
everybody has stuff in their house they don't want. And so it was, had no problem finding an inventory of stuff. I think anybody who's listening can relate to that, but you probably have yes. maybe even a whole room full of stuff you don't need. Um, so we found our tools very quickly. It was just about setting up a few systems and opening our doors. So that's what we did in August of 2019. Pandemic um, you know, shutdown started about six months later, but we were able to rally really quickly because we were such a new organization. We were small. We didn't have a lot of undoing or redoing. We kind of were able to pivot and we were busier than ever. As you can imagine, uh, having access to affordable equipment to take on projects when you're stuck at home was yes. kind of an incredible asset to a lot of families here in Chicago. I think that's the, that's the, one of the weirdest, coolest parts of the unfortunate events that happened during the pandemic is everyone had so much time that then they took on ambitious home projects. Um, and you got to see that also probably with the success of Home Depot or Lowe's. And, and then there were lots of sales, but I could totally see that translating to you all in terms of providing more equitable access to these types of uh, resources to just take on these projects, especially for people that maybe are intimidated of buying a brand new expensive tool and who could then sort of start saying, all right, I want to decrease that barrier a little bit of entry and just start working with this stuff and getting maybe some advice from you all who are actually at the tool library. Is that sort of how that went? Is people just kind of stopping yeah. by and checking out some stuff? Well, and I feel like I'm kind of getting into like the deep end really fast, but you can imagine like when stuff gets weird in a community, when there's supply chain issues, which we saw, people were waiting, you know, like six months for a piece of furniture. People are making their own furniture. People, you know, contractors weren't working, supply chain issues, supplies weren't showing up. Uh, also people are out of jobs. You know, there's a huge argument to be made for tool libraries supporting communities in these really strange times of, you know, yes. climate events or pandemics or all sorts of things that when these resources are centralized and easily available and affordable, that we're really able to respond immediately to help people continue to live like safe and productive lives. That kind of speaks to your point earlier, and I love the resiliency aspect of that, of really being a, a deeply rooted community access point. Um, that speaks to then the continued success that you found during the pandemic. Um, but then also, that probably had some evidence in other tool libraries that had shown success in other communities. Um what was that like? I mean, what does the research show in a lot of these tool communities about how, how much it benefits local communities? That's a good question. You know, tool libraries kind of as in, as little units, we're, we're, we're old, but we've always been small. So we haven't always had the, the funding or the resources or the support to do a lot of really good data work that we'd like. Um, but it's happening now. There's, there's folks who are kind of getting that support and that energy now to figure out really cool metrics of like, how are we helping people reduce their carbon footprints? Um, how much are we saving people in contractors or tool rentals or tool purchases? But I mean, you can just sort of imagine all the ways that this is really helpful to people, but the numbers are just sort of getting crunched now. And especially for us as a kind of COVID baby of an organization, we feel like our numbers in our first few years are just like bananas. Like who knows really? <laughs> like, what is our impact? Like, can we even count on these numbers? Like who knows? So well, um, impressive numbers. Totally though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, impressive numbers. Can you, do you have any top of hand? I mean, how many, how many here in the Chicago community rely on you all for, for memberships? I mean, is that, is this something that you all have calculated recently? Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. So we, um, you know, we have over 3000 
households or members who have signed up to join the Chicago Tool Library in our first three years. Incredible. Um, those folks are coming from every single zip code in Chicago, which if you're from Chicago or if you live in Chicago, that's a statistic I really like because people don't like to go to other neighborhoods for their stuff. Across <laughs> town? They, no way. Yes. They don't want to do yeah. it. But we have members from every corner of Chicago. And to me, that speaks worlds because uh, you know, if people are willing to come from Rogers Park to borrow something, the demand is there. And we really feel confident that um, we're going to succeed here long term. For someone who's not maybe as as well known of Chicago geography, going to Rogers Park to um, down to the, the southern neighborhoods of Chicago could mean a 10, 15, 20 mile journey um, that, uh, again, is not insignificant by any means, but really shows the impact of the community and what the access means. Um this was something I loved reading when, when we got into, when you all started looking at, at memberships, you wanted to offer this to any community member, not to have a barrier entry. That might mean a membership cost that's too high. Um, what do you call the, I mean, is there a name for allowing anybody to pay their way or pay their fair share in a system and not have a standard membership? Is there a, is, is there a standard name for that type of pricing mechanism? Uh, yeah, a lot of people, I mean, where pay what you want or pay, pay what, what you, you can. Pay what um, you can, yes. I really like pay what you want uh, because the can sometimes carries these connotations of, um, it's just like a little bit sometimes paternalistic, the can. It's like, and a lot of times, a lot of spaces, you need to prove the, like what you can and can't do. Like you need to prove your income or something. Uh, but pay what you want, I feel like, gives people a lot of power and agency. Destigmatizes uh, it, probably, to some degree. It does. Yeah, yeah. It's like, and, and if the reason you don't want to pay as much is because you don't have the funds, or if it's because you just know this isn't something you're going to use, or you know you're going to move in a month, or whatever it is, like, it's what you want. Like, I don't want to, I don't need to have a conversation with every single person to try and extract the most value I can out of them when what they're accessing is a room full of stuff that nobody wanted. Uh I just don't think that that's the basis for a strong community center. So people pay what they pay what they want to nice. be a member of the Chicago Tool Library. No, I love that. And what was even more fun to read is that didn't mean that people were paying nothing. Um, that there was actually a people were paying what they wanted and they wanted to support this type of access. Um, do you have on average maybe how many how much someone pays in a membership across your user base today? Yeah. So in our first year or so, our average was higher than it is now. Uh, it was maybe like close to $50 on average. Now it's maybe closer to 30. Um, so we do, we do find that like really, honestly, we find though that like that number going down is a good thing. It means we're reaching more people uh, because our early adopters were maybe people who were very digitally literate. They found us on social media in a pandemic. Now we feel like our ground game is better word is getting out in neighborhoods. And so the price going down kind of means a lot to us. Uh, and we're also seeing that when people renew the next year, they're paying more, often double. So it all really evens out. And so, and people really do sometimes pay zero or $1. Like that's a thing that happens, but we've done the math. Like if we were to charge all those people, if we were to up our minimum to $20, we'd only make another like thousand dollars. Like it's not worth it. Like to, you know, have, have people, I don't know, access? it's just an arbitrary yeah. enforcement of something. What, what, who am I to say that $20 is the value of this thing? Um, 
so yeah, we really, we really love that people get to pay what they want. And we have people pay $400. We have people pay $4 and they all get the same access to the same resource and everybody contributes. Um, and it keeps us running. How is the, have you all seen this model and, and y'all, y'all's advocacy for sharing and for establishing more equitable systems? How have you seen sort of the education of this take hold where people might be surprised at, oh my gosh, this, this system works, or I get to use this and this is available in my community. What have you seen in that, in terms of that response? It's, there's so much joy, honestly, like it, it creates so much joy when people come in and they're stunned that they're able to get what they need without having to jump through a million hoops or give us their credit card or, you know, and people are just delighted. They feel empowered. They feel ownership in what we do. And people want us, we want to tell their friends about us. Um, and so we really feel that jet, like the back and forth, like we really feel that when we give people power and we give them choice that they reinvest in us in other ways. If they, if it's not through money, it's through spreading the word or donating tools when they have them. We just do really feel like there is um, a very strong connection that it, that goes both ways with our members and our users of the library. I love that. And can we get to the, to the real nitty gritty of what, how a, a tool library operates. Um, what does this mean? So what is this? How did you all start collecting tools? Um, how do you start to then distribute those tools out? What does this mean on a per daily basis? Do you get it for an hour? Do you get it for a day? Um, how does this actually work when, when something is rooted in the community and provides that, that type of operation to the community? Yeah. So we started a lot of our operations and our policies were very basic when we started because we knew that we would need to adapt um, and we have adapted. And so that's been really wonderful to see. So we've started out where only, we only provide memberships for individuals um, versus, you know, like a nonprofit or uh, a school or something. So you have to be an individual and a Chicagoan and that's basically it. You're able to join. Uh, our inventory includes power tools, hand tools, it includes uh, gardening equipment, but it also includes lots of other things that Chicagoans don't necessarily have on hand or have access to. Uh, things like camping equipment, for example, or specialty kitchen equipment like stand mixers or food dehydrators. So we really run the gamut of all sorts of things that Chicagoans who uh, renters or homeowners might want to borrow. Uh, and then, yeah, it's on a day-to-day basis. People are able to borrow things for a week and then they can renew them. Uh, but as we're growing, we're gonna be adding to that. We are actually gonna start lending to nonprofits, block clubs, uh, schools and things next year. Uh, we're gonna have different kind of rules and policies for that, but we're really excited to, to expand bit by bit and meet the needs of Chicagoans as we learn about them. Can you speak to that programming? I think that's super, because you also mentioned that people give back in more ways than just monetarily. You probably have some volunteer efforts that I'm, I'm sure are successful with some of your members. Um, but what does that mean in terms of programming that you're also then providing back to the community? I saw one that I, I hope to attend um, which was sort of a, a repair event. Um, yes. yes. Uh, can you speak more to that? Yeah. So in the tool library movement, there's sort of like a sister or like a sibling movement out there called the, you know, repair movement or right to repair or repair cafes where people are kind of coming together in communities all over the world to encourage repair. 
um, you know, for all the same reasons that you might expect, you know, to help empower people, help them take care of their things, help them have a smaller uh, footprint on this planet. But yeah, we partner with Chicago Public Libraries, and this year we're hosting a repair fair at a different library branch on the south and west side of Chicago cool. every month. And they're the cutest events. You should definitely come to Wagar. <laughs> Uh, you know, they're free for anybody in the community to come. They bring their broken things. And we have the most amazing, talented volunteers who can sew or fix electronics or uh, do woodworking and help people fix their stuff. And they're very, they're, we're actually really good at it. Our, our repair rate's really high. <laughs> oh, that's, I love that. I'm so excited. Um, the, so then you, that's that sort of sister movement then, the right to repair movement. Um, We've seen more traction as of late, actually, yes. from a right to repair movement. Why do you think that is? Um, do you think that also is sort of that same COVID-esque effect where people want to do more with what they have and they want to be less reliant on the the typical consumption pattern? Um, how have you seen these sort of both of these movements grow in the last sort of two years? You know, I think they're definitely for the same reasons. And we've, we've pulled, we've done a little bit of polling with our member base and asked people, why, why did you join the tool library? Was it to save money? And saving money was a really big answer. I think it was our top answer, but our second most popular answer was people wanted to participate in a different kind of system than just a straightforward extractive capitalist system. And that really surprised me because I think we use like anti-capitalist in the question, which felt kind of like strong language for certain people. Uh, and I was surprised that that resonated with so many people, that people wanted, they wanted a different way. And I feel like a lot of people are feeling the pinch of the status quo, either with their budget or just with their frustration of not really getting the quality of things that they want, the time, you know, people are sick of, you know, people are sick of their things being broken or expensive or, or having, having fewer options. So I feel like, um, for all those reasons, people are wanting to have a little more choice and ownership and control over how they lead their lives and how they take care of their things. I, I like that choice aspect. I think there's uh, definitely, uh, I mean, this resonates with all of us, on, especially in this room, on this podcast, where when you, when you buy something that's so expensive, to have it then fail you so early, to that then have no options to recapture that value and then be forced to either buy another brand or spend money on another product or do whatever it is to get that original utility back. That's a frustrating cycle. Um, and so it is, I think, I think to your point, it's definitely a part of that, um, that movement of saying, no, 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 we want to take the agency back as consumers um, in order to sort of really secure our lives and secure the spaces that we protect. And we actually almost are proud of in that way where I, I think there's so much pride built into what I see from your membership base and the expansion here in, in Chicago, that that's so important um, to keep giving people that agency and that, and that pride and, and that resiliency for that, that type of program. hundred percent. And, you know, we're really working with people in all these ways in a, in their daily lives. You know, I'm sure, you know, the circular economy concept is, it's industrial, it's global, it's all these things, but where the tool library and where repair fairs and repair cafes live is just helping promote and normalize and make accessible these concepts in people's daily lives Yes, uh, and just showing a better way, like a way that communities of our future can look better, can feel better and just be stronger, give people more skills, more tools, literally and figuratively um, so that people can 
have that pride, the dignity of taking care of your home or learning a new skill without spending a ton of money to, for, you know, expensive trade school or a ton of materials that you might not use long-term. So it's common sense and people know it is. And so people respond very positively. What's the, uh, what would you say is the, uh, the, the language that people most respond to, we, we, we have challenges using circular economy in, in average language, or at least in our, our marketing, because it can kind of wash over people. People are like, I don't know what that is. It seems intimidating, but I, I get the sharing thing. The sharing, I understand. Yes. What do you guys ever use that type of language or how do you, how do you introduce sharing and then broader concepts to, to sort of your, your neighborhood or consumer base? That's a funny question because we are constantly butting heads with capitalist language mm. in our in our space where people say that they're renting tools all the time and when they're not they're borrowing like even the, you don't say oh, you're renting a book from the library so people are constantly saying that they're renting from us or that it's rentals uh and there's just this money money like dollar signs everywhere in the language that we use to talk about um objects that so have value yes um so it's really funny. So we're, we're constantly just having to reassert that it's, it's like, it is, this is language of the people. These are better words. These are better actions. It's borrowing. We're sharing. Uh, and people just are used to it. They've been so it's, it's trained. Like, yeah. It's not in their buy. vocabulary. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The vocabulary of sharing just is not available to us yet, uh, which is really wild. Uh, but beyond that, just the concept of like circular economy, like kind of the sustainability piece of what we do. Uh, I think people, they know it. It's so easy to see it when you know it. Like they, they know that this is a better choice for, for not buying. Um, but we, we're still working on, on teaching people like the basic vocabulary about what borrowing is. <laughs> so we honestly don't, we don't use our, the sustainability language as much as, um, as much as just that the, the verbs, the verbs of, of being in a community like this. I, I love that that idea because again it's it's starting with the basics of really re-educating all of us. I mean we're we're doing that ourselves almost. We're we're having yeah. we, you and I have, have sort of had to deconstruct these notions that we were we were indoctrinated with of value of things or how to connect more with your community yes. and um and so I just so I so resonate with that. Uh so it makes sense that we almost have to start just with the basics of saying, hey, it's not an exchange of money for a thing. This is a community resource that you get to yes. have. You get to use yeah. this. Um, that's the, I love that. Um, what, what would you want to leave our audience with um, in terms of more ideas. We can, I, I, we can, I would love to ask a couple more questions. Uh, we can get into how maybe people can get involved. But before we get to that, Concepts. What do you want to leave people with in terms of what sharing means, what borrowing means? How do we scale these systems across different communities and what this means to communities? Totally. You know, I would just reassert and like, you know, folks who are listening to this are probably familiar to some degree with circular economies and what Reaply does. Um, but we just need to move quickly and we need to keep talking about these things because in order for these fragile systems, like those of tool libraries, which are very small and underfunded, um, people are really putting themselves out there to make our world a better place right now. And we need to catch up. 
like funding needs to catch up. Our vocabulary needs to catch up because we're still talking about the climate problem in terms that are decades old in the spaces of funding for the most part, which is how we're going to get things done. So, you know, traditional sustainability and environmental efforts and my traditional, they're usually like conservation. You know, a lot of the money out there is for conservation, which is important. Um, but we need to think about urban environments too. How are urban environments going to adapt and how are communities going to adapt? And so little projects like tool libraries do struggle kind of in the face of slightly outdated definitions of what our sustainability you know, priorities are. So it's very long-winded, but I just encourage people to keep, keep the buzz up, get more funding out there, get more people excited about newer innovative ways to help people lead more sustainable lives because people are looking for answers and tool libraries are a really great answer. One of a million, but we're, we're one. It's, it's the urgency and we need to keep it and we need to, and to that end, um, you know, we've never, we've never done a direct call out like this. And I, I hope you all that are listening understand why you all have a big event coming up. Um, you're, you're starting to raise money. You're, you're starting to, again, uh, look for a new space to expand your offering. Um, how do people get involved? Where do people find out how they can donate? Um, and, yes. and, and what, what's sort of the next call to action for you all? No, I really appreciate that. Cause we are this wonderful team of mostly volunteers and we just feel so strongly about the work we're doing. So, um, please donate to the Chicago tool library. If that's exciting to you, Every little bit of that will help us expand in Chicago because expanding is what we need. The demand is so big. People want us in every neighborhood, but we don't have money for that yet. Um, but also maybe there's a tool library where you live and maybe you should go find them and donate to them or um, donate your time. We always, you know, nonprofits always need help from uh, generous professionals, you know, legal, real estate, whatever. So um, in either of those ways, please support the Chicago tool library or other tool libraries because they're really special spaces. I love that. That's a great place to end. Thank you, Tessa, so much for your time today. Uh, I look forward to having you on the next one. We get to dive even more in. Thank you. Thank you.